You know, I'm pretty sure that you've noticed that you don't have to dig too deeply into the teaching of Scripture or the Christian faith to find teaching or proclamations that are quite offensive to or difficult to align with our contemporary sensibilities. I mean, for example, we raise the question, you know, hasn't Christianity in history often been used to oppress people? We ask, isn't the Christian gospel offensively exclusive? I mean, claiming there's only one way to God? And why should we trust the teachings of Scripture anyway? You know, these difficulties or questions can be raised in our own minds and in the minds of those who are just beginning to consider the way of Jesus. So how do we honestly respond to these very understandable questions and difficulties? That is going to be our focus in this new teaching series, what we're just calling Asking for a Friend, in which we want to reflect on some of the questions about God and faith and life with Christ that are just so common to our day. In fact, it was a Canadian sociologist and public opinion pollster, his name's Reg Bibby, he did a national survey in which he asked people this question. If you could ask God one question and you knew he would give you an answer, what would you ask him? The number one response put forward is the question we're considering today. Can you guess what it was? How could a loving, powerful God allow such suffering and evil in the world? That was the question. Now the thing is, Jesus warned quite clearly about the challenges that we would face in this life. This is what he said in the Gospel of John chapter 16. And as you hear, remember, this is the word of God. Verse 33, Jesus said this. In this world, you will have what? Tribulation. In life, Jesus says, you are going to have difficulties, you're gonna have trials. But in that passage in John's Gospel though, Jesus really didn't address the question of why. Why does God allow these tribulations, this suffering in our life? And that's a question that's been on people's minds for all of recorded history. Why is there suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? And, and those questions aren't suppressed or ignored in Scripture. In, in fact, they're expressed throughout the Bible. I mean, that was a cry on the lips of a man named Job who called out to God and said, why all the suffering, God? I mean, it was a heart cry of the psalmist when he wrote, why have you forsaken me, O God? Or, or in the gospel or the prophecy of Habakkuk, listen to Habakkuk's cry in Habakkuk 1.3. Habakkuk complained, why do you, God, make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction, violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. God, why allow such suffering and evil? And, and this is actually a question that we address every few years here at Southview because it is such a prominent one for so many people. So I want us to be clear why we're even asking the question. Because think about this. On one hand, if there is no God, that question is senseless. I mean, bad stuff just happens because it happens. There is no deeper meaning or significance in life. But on the other hand, 
if there is a God, it's challenging to think how these three realities can coincide with suffering. I mean, let's put it this way. If, if there is a God, and he is loving, but he isn't all-powerful, then our answer would simply be, well, God would like to stop our pain and suffering, but he can't. It's just beyond him. Or, if there is a God, and he is all-powerful, but he isn't loving, then our answer would simply be, God just doesn't care. He could stop evil and suffering. He has a power to do it, but he doesn't care about it. But if, as Scripture declares adamantly, there is a God, and he is both loving and all-powerful, then why does he allow such suffering and evil? That's what we're considering together today. And I'd like to encourage you, you might want to take notes in this to help you follow along or for later reference. It might be helpful, and we're going to cover a lot, all right? You're ready for, it's a new year. You're ready for this, right? Together we'll do this. And, and I want you to know I'm dependent on numerous resources, including Dr. Peter Kreft, uh, Alvin Plantinga, Lee Strobel, and what I'm sharing today. And, and if it would help so you know, we also have some additional resources available on this topic in our resource center right across the Cardo if you want to go there after our gathering today. And here's the thing. I know that for most of us, this is far from just an academic question, kind of that you debate about over coffee. I know for most of us, this is a very real issue that you have gone through, maybe you're going through a time of pain or suffering. So I do wish I could stand up here today and give you just the perfect answer from God in this issue, but I really can't. And, and part of the reason for that is what the Apostle Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to what Paul writes. This is 1 Corinthians 13 and, and verse 12. Paul says this. For now, remember, in this life, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, when Christ returns, face to face. Now, in this life, I know in part. But then, we shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. Paul reminds us, in this world, friends, we don't have perfect knowledge because we're finite human beings. But there are some things we can understand about suffering. Although there's so much we don't understand, there are some foundations that can help us remain grounded, hopeful, as we consider or face suffering. And this today might be a review for some of you here, but I, I think it's still very helpful and needed because we need reminding on this topic, all right? So there are gonna be two parts to what I wanna share today, all right? Part one, we're gonna look at four foundations that I think can give us some help in the challenges and uncertainties we face in life, four foundations. Then part two, I just wanna give us a brief encouragement, all right? Four foundations and then an encouragement. All right, so what do we know from Scripture about this? What, what has been revealed to us that can help guide us? And let's look at four foundations. The first foundation is just this. God is not the author of suffering and evil. I want you to remember these, so say it with me. Let's read that phrase, would you? God is not the author of suffering and evil. An understandable question is, 
why didn't God just create a world that was perfect without suffering? Well, the Bible says he did. In, in fact, when we go to the book of Genesis, right at the start of Genesis, in Genesis 1, verse 31, speaking of God's creation, we read this. God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was perfect. There was no sin, no suffering. So we ask then, so if God is not the author of evil or suffering, where did they come from? And that question leads us to a second foundation. And our second foundation is this. God created the potential for suffering and evil. Again, let's read it together. God created the potential for suffering and evil. Okay, but that would lead us to ask, why would God even create the potential for evil? And to answer that question, we need to first consider, okay, for what purpose were we created by God? What is the reason for our existence? A very important question. And one way we could answer that question is, our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You and I were created to worship God, to walk in loving relationship with him and with one another. So for that purpose, God then gave humanity the gift of choice, of free will. As the story of Adam and Eve portrays, they could choose to worship and glorify and obey God, or they could choose to reject him, to be their own God. And again, we ask, so why would God even give them that choice? Because without that choice, our worship of God would mean nothing. Right? I'll put it this way. Our daughter, Alex, used to live in Vancouver. Praise God, she returned to Calgary. And she was with us again over the holidays and just the delight of being with her, the joy of having her say or even text me, I love you, Dad, just the joy of that. So let's consider, what if our daughter had been programmed from birth to only be able to say, I love you, Dad? What if she had to say it, if she could only express that thought? Kind of like pulling the string on the back of one of those dolls. What if it was like that for her? Would her saying, I love you, mean anything if that was the case? Not really. Because authentic love must involve a choice. I mean, without the authentic choice to be able to turn away from God, to, to sin, We'd just be like robots worshiping God, worshiping, obeying him, only because we had no choice but to worship him. So God did create the potential for evil and suffering by giving us the freedom to choose, to choose to honor him, to love him, or to choose our own way in a way that eventually brought brokenness, separation from him. I mean, tragically, we humans abused our free will in rebelling against God, in, in turning away from him by sinning. And that sin, understand, brought suffering and death into the human experience. And according to scripture, that also resulted in the introduction of two kinds of evil into the world. It brought both natural evil and moral evil. 
Okay, the, the first kind of evil we call natural evil. For example, that would include, for example, disease, genetic disorders, natural disasters that cause suffering. Understand, these two can be the result of sin being allowed in the world. And if you're thinking, really? What do you mean by that? And I, I totally get that can be really difficult for us to accept. But I think it's difficult for us to process and accept because we have such a low view of sin. We just don't realize the incredible consequences, really the cosmic disordering that sin, our turning away from God, brought in all of creation. In fact, Scripture speaks of this. It tells us the source of this disorder and chaos. This is in Genesis 3, verse 17. It says, because of your sin, cursed is what? The ground. It had an impact on creation. Because of your sin, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. I mean, human sin, it brought global, it brought environmental consequences. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Rome, listen to what he said about this. This is in Romans 8, verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Just drink that in for a moment. In fact, Dr. Peter Kreft puts it this way. When we humans told God to shove off, he partially honored our request. Nature began to revolt. The earth was cursed. Genetic breakdown and disease began. Pain and death became part of the human experience. And natural evil, friends, was one of the consequences of humanity rebelling against God. But in addition to natural evil, human sin also brought a second type of evil. We'll call it moral evil. And, and moral evil is the suffering, the pain, the grief that comes because we choose to be vengeful or deceitful or hateful or selfish or abusive. And many have argued that the preponderance of the world's suffering results from this kind of sin by ourselves or others. I mean, for example, one author puts it this way. People look at a famine and wonder where God is. But then we realize that the world already produces enough food for each person on this planet to have 3,000 calories a day. It's actually human irresponsibility and self-centeredness that typically prevents people from getting fed. So there is natural evil and there's moral evil. And it was we human beings with the free will given to us by God who brought that potential evil into reality. So I think we naturally ask, couldn't God have seen that all this was gonna happen? <laughs> to which scripture would say, yes, he did. In fact, Ronald Nash puts it this way. He says, many of you are parents, he writes, even before you had children, couldn't you foresee that there was a very real possibility that your child might suffer disappointment or pain or heartache in life, or that they might even hurt you or walk away from you? 
Of course we could see that possibility, he writes, but we still had kids. Why? No one knows. No, no. It's because we knew there was also the potential for tremendous joy, deep love, great meaning that children provide. And it is similar with our God. He knew we'd rebel against him. He knew the consequences that our rebellion would bring. But he also knew that despite our rebellion, he would form a new kingdom of people who would turn to follow him and freely choose to spend eternity in joy with him. And stunningly, to God, it was all worth it for that. Even though it would cost his own son just incredible suffering, pain, and death to achieve our redemption, God thought it's still worth it. So again, God allowed us the freedom to choose to turn from him, and that choice, it brought great suffering and evil. And that leads us to a third foundation we need to rest upon. Because in this earthly life, God uses suffering and pain to bring about good. Read the phrase with me, would you? God uses suffering and pain to bring about good. And I need to tell you, all parents know about this. Because parenting and love and pain are kind of a package deal, right? When our daughter Alex was really young, we, we took her to the doctor to get one of her first shots, and it was awful. Uh, up to that moment, everything we did from when she first arrived was to protect her, to shield her, to comfort her, to take care of her. And, and so she trusted us. And then we take her to this doctor, and he pulls out this giant needle, shoves it into her tender little arm. And her eyes got really big, and not surprisingly, she started crying. And then she looked at me with a look that said, how can you let this happen to me? And I picked her up in my arms and said, oh, sweetie, this was mommy's idea. <laughs> Just, yeah. I'd never do that to you. I'd... Because our daughter could not begin to grasp how the source of her pain was actually for her great benefit. And on a far, far more profound level, Romans chapter 8 tells us this. This is Romans 8, verse 28. In fact, read this with me. Let's read it together. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I want you to notice this. Paul doesn't say that God causes all things to happen. Again, God allows us to choose, and our choices and the choices of others have corresponding consequences in our lives. But even if God is not the source of the suffering, he can and still does use it for good purposes. And we say, okay, how? How can God use suffering and pain to bring about good? Well, certainly, the greatest example of God using evil for good is what we're going to celebrate when we get to Good Friday, the death of Christ. In fact, one author puts it this way. God took the very worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe, 
the death of God on the cross, and he turned it into the very best thing that has happened in the history of the universe, the opening of heaven to all who follow him. So if God can take the very worst circumstance imaginable and turn it into the very best situation possible, can he not take the negative circumstances of your life and create something good from them? So let's just look kind of quickly at three of the other ways that scripture mentions how God uses suffering to bring about good in our lives. How does he do it? Well, for one, God can use suffering to lead us to Christ. Again, Dr. Peter Kreft puts it this way. The meaning and purpose of suffering in history is that it leads to repentance. Only after suffering, only after disaster, does Israel, do nations, do individuals turn back to God. Suffering brings repentance. We learn the hard way. Somebody want to say amen to that? That's true of us, isn't it? I think we know it's true. I mean, because when we are happy and trouble-free, how often do we drift from God or, or forget God? Often it is when we suffer, it's when we experience heartache or loss or disappointment that we're most likely to call out to or turn to God, right? In fact, a man named Ralph Erskine, while he was chronically bedridden, racked with debilitating pain, he expressed it this way, I have known more of God since I came to this bed than through all my previous life. Because God can use suffering to attract us towards the greatest joy in life, which is a personal relationship with him. And the truth is, it is worth any price if it means coming to know God personally. Okay, so how else can God bring good through our suffering? Well, a second way, God can also use our suffering to accomplish kingdom purposes, to accomplish things that are so far beyond our imagining. In fact, as a great example of this, think of Joseph. Remember Joseph's story? He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Nice family. But what the brothers did was terrible, and Joseph, he suffered greatly for it. But God used that experience to raise up Joseph, and Joseph's planning and leadership saved Egypt when they faced a famine. And he didn't just save Egypt, he saved his family, his brothers. And then we have Joseph say to his brothers after all this, in seeing God's provision, Joseph says this in Genesis 50 verse 20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for what? For good, because that's what God does. Because God can use our suffering, he can use it to lead us to Christ, and he can use it to accomplish kingdom purposes. And then third, God can also use suffering, friends, to mold our minds and hearts in Christ. In fact, listen to these amazing words about Christ in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. It's a bit of a shocking verse in some ways. Hebrews 5 verse 8. Although he was God's son, Jesus learned obedience how? Read the phrase with me. Through what he suffered. The son of God, God in the flesh, learned obedience in part through his suffering. I mean, Paul wrote in Romans 5, 
We rejoice in our sufferings, therefore, and it's not because we're supposed to be masochists, but because we know, we rest on the assurance that suffering brings endurance in our life, endurance brings character, character produces hope, and it's all through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so whether God uses it to refine us or guide us or discipline us, understand this, the pain and suffering we endure in this life, God can use it, he will use it to mold our hearts and minds. He can use suffering to lead us to Christ, to accomplish kingdom purposes, and to mold our hearts and minds. And friends, I absolutely realize that even those purposes, they don't come close to answering all of our questions. But I think it can help for us to stand on that third foundation that God can and does use our pain and suffering to bring about good. But then there's a fourth foundation that we can stand upon, and it's simply this. Our current suffering in this life cannot compare to our eternal joy and delight. Let's read the phrase together. Our current suffering cannot compare to our eternal joy and delight. And please don't mishear me on this, because it's so easy even for that to sound trite, or, or kind of dismissive of our current suffering. But, but consider this, consider the Apostle Paul in his deep suffering and pain, how he expressed it. This is Paul writing, again, this is Romans 8, verse 18. Paul says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, now just pause there for a second. Remember what Paul's present sufferings were up to this point as he wrote this? Up to this point, Paul had already endured five times being whipped with 39 lashes. That's being whipped with a whip that contained leather and bone, would literally rip apart your back. At that, three different times, Paul had experienced people stoning him, throwing rocks at him till he was a bloody pulp. Even though he experienced that, Paul wrote this in verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time they are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us in the afterlife, in the life that's to come. Because as Paul would write to the church in Corinth, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has even conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That's what awaits us. Okay, so before I give you a final encouragement, friends, I I exhort us to stand on those four foundations. For one, God's not the author of suffering and evil. Secondly, God created the potential for evil and suffering by giving us the freedom to choose. Thirdly, the third foundation is God uses our suffering and pain to bring about good. And then fourthly, remember, our current suffering cannot compare to what's waiting for us in the eternal joy and delight God has for us. So in going over this message this week, just reflecting on these truths and foundations, and and knowing even in my personal life, they can and do bring comfort, it still felt like something's missing. So part two is just an encouragement. Because couldn't help, as I was studying and reflecting on this this week, to think of friends, some of you, who right now, you are walking through times of suffering and pain. And I just want to say, acknowledge, 
as you walk through times of suffering, I know that these teachings, these foundations, they're not an ultimate consolation. I, I totally think these foundations can be helpful, but truly, they aren't enough, are they? I mean, they can never answer all of our questions. There, there's, it's like there's something deeper we are longing for. I was reading, again, the story this week in Scripture of Job, and particularly of God's odd response to Job's suffering. And, and you, do you remember what Job endured? I mean, Job, Scripture tells us, the book of Job tells us, he lived in the land of Uz, not Oz, Uz. That's where he lived. Job was extremely successful. He had a good wife, three, seven sons, three daughters. He had thousands of sheep, cattle, oxen, camels. He was healthy. He was vibrant. In fact, he's actually called, think of this, he is called the greatest of all the people in the East. So Job had it going on. And the story is told that Satan in the heavenly realm comes to God and says to God, the only reason Job worships you is because he's successful. It's because you've blessed him. And God says to his enemy, you are wrong. Job would be faithful to me even without all the blessings. And to prove it, God allows Satan to tear apart Job's life. Job loses everything. His work, his family, his life, his health, in tatters, shredded. But then near the end of the story of Job, God finally speaks to Job, and Job asks God our question. Why? Why, God? But given the chance to explain to Job why, that in a heavenly confrontation, God was showing Satan that Job was faithful. Because God knew the answer to Job's why question. But given the answer to say to Job, Job, that... This is what your suffering is about. What explanation does God give? What is God's response to Job's question? Do you remember? 70 questions from God back to Job. And again, God already knew the answers to all these. In fact, Frederick Beatner writes of this exchange, God doesn't explain here, he explodes. I mean, look at this. Look at how the encounter goes. This is Job 38, verse 4. God says to Job, after Job asks, why, God? Okay, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, tell me, if you have understanding. Look at verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Or flip over to, Gen to, rather, to Job chapter 39, verse 26. Another question. Okay, Job, is it your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? Is that true, Job? And we say, why didn't God just give Job the short answer? Right? I mean, it's, in the book of Job, we're allowed to kind of peer behind the curtain to get a glimpse of this spiritual battle. And so we think, why didn't God just say, Job, <laughs> why did this happen? You have no idea what has been going on around you, and even in the heavenly places. Your perseverance in these trials has meant more than you could even imagine. Through it, Job, you have brought me glory in the heavenly places. Why didn't God just say something like that? Don't you wonder? And could have been because God knew that we each would face Job moments. 
we each would face times when the answer wasn't clear to us. When we, like Job, would call out to God, crying, why, God? I mean, seeking answers that don't come. And, and that our why question could never be answered sufficiently enough. And so, what does God do with Job? God leads Job away from his why question. In fact, God just kind of ignores it. And where does God lead Job? He leads Job to himself, back to God. And friends, here's the thing. We all live in the land of us because every one of us will suffer. And, and some of us in this room right now are suffering right now, deep, deep pain. Why? We don't fully know why. How long will it last? We don't know how long. Does my response even matter in it? Oh, more than you can possibly imagine. More than you can even dream. So don't you let go. Because God said to Job, and he says to you and me, when you can't figure out the answer, turn to me. Rest in me. Turn to your Savior, Jesus. Okay, and can God actually lead you through, strengthen you through suffering? Yes. That was Job's testimony. In fact, at the close of his encounter with God, listen to what Job said. This is Job 42.5. I'd heard of you, God, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And that's not just true for Job. Because I know for every one of us, as we walk through times of challenge or suffering, in addition to holding on to some of these foundations, which I think we can rightly do, we need more than that. You know what we need? Him. We need him. So I'd, I'd like to pray right now. Could we do this? Will you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. And just ask, want to ask God to bring his refreshment, his strength, his hope, in whatever you are walking through. And actually, even before I pray, I'll give you another moment of silence here just to be still before God and, and reflect, what is God saying to you right now? What's he saying to you? And then, what are you going to do about it? How will you respond to how God's prompting you? And oh, our Father, the reality is, you know what every single one of us who is here or listening is walking through right now. You know the challenges, you know the suffering, the pain, the difficulties, Father. And I would pray, as you did with Job, in addition to giving the hope you've given us in your word, these foundations even, I, I pray you would draw us to yourself. Would you bring refreshment in your presence, encouragement by your spirit, hope that you alone can bring? I pray, Father, by your spirit, would you? 
And we pray as well, Father, as we walk with those around us that are going through times of difficulty or challenge, would you by your spirit use us to be the hands, the feet, the arms of Jesus to those we can bring comfort to around us. So please lead us to that end, we pray, Father. And again, all God's people say, amen.